podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to another Wagon Wheel with me, Jared Kimber. And we're going to be talking about, well, I have no idea what we're going to be talking about because people come to Spotify Green Room and they ask me random questions. And then we replay this podcast on the Red Inca podcast and uh, up on YouTube as well. A uh, huge shout out to the Patreon people. Unfortunately, I was a little bit late to realizing that we had changed our days for these. So we generally do the Spotify Green Room chats on a Friday. We're going to move them to Thursday now just because my producer, Nick, plays cricket on Saturdays. So, you know, that's the most cricket reason ever for changing a cricket podcast, I think. So big shout out to Nick as well, if you're listening, Nick, which hopefully you are because you're editing this podcast. Thank you again to Manscaped for their sponsorship. Remember, if you want to shave your balls as safely as possible, as smoothly as possible, as sexily as possible, go to manscaped.com, put in the code REDINCA, all one word, and you get 20% discount and uh, you can down there uh, to your heart's content. Free worldwide shipping as well on their products once you use my code. It might be free worldwide shipping even if you don't use my code, but you certainly get it with my code. And Bodyline T-shirts, obviously, thank you for their support as well. Um, although I'm wearing a Curly Ambrose T-shirt. I don't think this is actually one of theirs, but they have a lot of great T-shirts. If you're a big fan of Cricket Nerd T-shirts, I suppose is the best way of putting it. We've got a couple of Patreon today. Also, for the, I know that uh, I've been getting a lot of complaints recently that Patreon and India seem to be in some sort of war that I don't understand when it comes to payments. There is now a buy me a coffee option that you can find in the YouTube, or you can just click on my uh, Twitter profile link and uh, buy me a coffee will come up there. I don't actually drink coffee, but you can buy me one for whatever that means. We just got a couple of Patreon questions unless... Uh, so Ian says, it's about QDK, now Quentin DeCock. He says, a bit controversial, but where do you stand on players being compelled to take the knee? He says, I would personally opt to take the knee and fully support the idea, but also think it becomes a bit meaningless if each person hasn't taken that decision themselves. Yeah, I, th I think that's where the tricky bit of this comes in. It's not a protest at this point, is it, realistically? It's something else. Um, it started as a protest, and now it's more about solidarity and it should be everyone's personal choice. The same way that if someone doesn't take the knee, we have the ability to think of them um, in, a, in a different light than we will for other people who take a knee. It's all very confusing. I think what I tried to say in the video is that I don't really think that forced quotas or forcing people to take the knee will help. But I understand why South African cricket specifically has got to this point in time. You know, there is a systemic racial issue within that country. There's also a systemic class issue, as I talk about in that piece. Um, but you can't get away from the fact that, you know, that most of the class issue still comes back to a racial component. And South Africa is not just a normal country. I don't know how much more racist really South Africa is than, say, Australia or England or um, USA or many other Western countries, even many non-Western countries, which are incredibly racist uh, as well. You know, it, I've been around the world. Racism, racism is everywhere. It's just not always as cut and dry as South Africa made it. Um, but I think he had to know that, well, he should have known that by not taking the knee, it was going to be seen as an opposition to the Black Lives Matter, even if he didn't mean it that way. And that's where it all becomes tricky. But yeah, forcing people to take the knee, it kind of defeats the point at a, at a certain level. But it's a bit like quotas. We know that quotas aren't the perfect system, but the reason that they exist is because of everything else that has come before it. But look, there's no there's no ideal answers to any of this. It, you see people in the comments who are like completely against Quentin de Kock and people who are completely for him, and it's like it's this is not a this is not a black and white issue. Although I suppose it's literally a black and white issue in that way. But um, there are so many different factors to all of these things. Uh, and South African cricket and South African society plays a big part in this. And there are a lot of people um, that that feel, even wrongly, that the Black Lives Matter protest is some Marxist plot um, to overthrow, I don't know, white people or something silly like that. Um, and it, it is a really, really complicated issue. It just is. South African cricket is a complicated issue. Uh, they know that they need to get more players from diverse backgrounds playing their sport. They know that they need to represent their country better than the almost said Sri Lanka South African cricket team has before. But they don't really want to do the work to do that because it would cost lots of money and they'd have to change a lot of things. So instead, we have quotas, and they want to show their solidarity with this movement rather than perhaps actually doing the thing that would help 
young black cricketers in South Africa. And, you know, that's what that's the situation that we are left with uh, when it comes to the Quentin de Kock situation. So, no, uh, I'm not a massive fan of the forcing it, but I also understand why South African cricketers are at the point where they feel like they need to force it. This, you know, this isn't a five-minute issue for them. This is, you know, over 100 years now, um, you know, all the way back to Crom Hendricks. Um, a little thing I don't think I said in the video, we don't actually know what Crom Hendricks's name was 100%, I don't think. Uh, there's people who wrote the book who say it's uh, William Henry, I think. Um, and there's Ar Armin or Armenian, I think is another name that that put before that people thought he went by. I mean, it's been going a long time and uh, this is a very, very old issue. Um, and Quentin de Kock got stuck in the middle of it. And that's, you know, you, you see so many people say things like, oh, I've got to take the politics out of sport. I follow sports, so there's no politics. If you follow sport, to get away from politics, then you have not been following sport very closely throughout the entire history. I, you know, I'm not talking about just obvious things like Adolf Hitler um, and, you know, uh, Jesse Owens up on stage with someone, you know, um, saluting Hitler beside him. Politics is in every part of sport and influences every part of sport. Certainly in cricket is absolutely unmistakably part of our game and always has been. Um, and uh, occasionally, players who probably should know better and sometimes will never know better get caught up in that. Um, so probably not a great answer to your question, Ian, but there we go. Amaya says, ooh, where are we? What would your Indian team be for uh, versus Pakistan with benefit of hindsight? Um, also in the same vein. Uh, yeah. Um, I don't think the Indian team was particularly bad. Uh, I mean, my Indian team in hindsight would be, I would tell Hardik Pandey to be fit. Uh, would be one thing that I would do specifically. Um, I don't know if, if Mohammed Siraj is actually fit at the moment or uh, what his situation is, but him for, you know, uh, Bhuvi Kumar is obviously um, something that seems to be a fairly normal decision to be able to make. Um, you know, when when it comes down to it, I don't think it was their team that was wrong. They just lost a bunch of wickets early on, got behind the game, and then their seamers couldn't take wickets. When, or sorry, their, their bowlers couldn't take wickets early on, and then their spinners got a little bit caught up in the juke. Um, you can't overreact to to that. The, India could have played with that lineup a few times and had a lot of success against Pakistan. I would not overreact to that particular game, even if I thought Pakistan looked like the better team and they're playing better. I really think that, that, that this is the problem with this T20 tournament. There's a lot of people who see one particular game and they want everything changing um, so massively. Um, and realistically, it's not really how these things go. So there you go. Uh, thanks again to the Patreon. So you can support us on Patreon. Jared Kimber, as I said, buy me a coffee if you want to buy me any other drink other than a coffee. Um, and let me just get to the live questions. Are you? Yeah, oh, there it is. Yeah. That's all right. So what I was saying is that, uh, you know, how easy it is for batsmen to develop a secondary skill of bowling, you know, or bowlers to develop a secondary skill of batting, you know, because uh, we have seen that Virat Kohli got a lot of swing and he does not bowl that often. And, you know, uh, they've been saying that everyone's practicing bowling and, you know, suddenly uh, players come through the ranks and they... Uh, bowlers come through the ranks and they bowl throughout their life and they are not getting it right. But uh, we, are, we are expected to believe that people who just roll their arms are suddenly, uh, uh, you know, a, a, an international match worthy bowler. So how how easy it is for, for such basketball to keep up? No, it, it's nonsense that it's easy. I mean, it's hard enough to be good at one particular thing at the top level of international sport. To be able to, when you're there, develop another whole skill. I mean, the athleticism required and the, and the physicality required to be a good batter and a good bowler are not related. I don't know if you've gone back and you've listened to the podcast to, uh, with Ben Lindbergh about why there aren't baseball all-rounders the same way there are cricket all-rounders. You know, they essentially, uh, they, they essentially are different species of, of athletes pitches and 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 uh, hitters in in baseball and i think you know we've we probably got a slightly different way of looking at it in cricket uh partly because all-rounders have more been part of our game in a way that they haven't in baseball but realistically finding someone who is of international quality at one skill is hard enough finding them of that quality twice is very hard and then having someone else develop stuff now what you can do let's look at a, a couple of really interesting cricketers um someone like uh darren lehman um, someone like Benny Howe, someone like Mike Yardy, 
Um, I'm trying to think of some other. Um, I suppose Keda Yadav uh, would be another one that, that you could possibly put in that kind of um, thing. Again, they found almost like cheat codes, right? No one would say, if anyone on here is old enough to remember Darren Lehman, no one's saying that Darren Lehman was a great bowler, but he was an effective bowler in the way that he was used and um, and he got by. Mike Yardy basically made a career by sort of adding this left arm finger skin, spin skill, um, which was, he was almost like, one of the first probably pure spoiler bowlers. His whole thing was just, you're not going to do anything other than uh, chip me to mid-wicket for one run. Um, you know, Benny Howe took Benny Howe took 72 mile an hour seam and, and, and turned it into something else. Those are very specific skills that those guys have been able to do. What none of those guys could do is actually spin the ball realistically or bowl at 90 miles an hour. And generally that's what more that, that's what you need to be able to do to be a successful bowler at the top level, right? So it's very hard for you to suddenly just be better at your secondary skill if you don't have a natural advantage through your either uh, ability or through your physicality. Yes, and did uh, did England take Yadi simply based on his uh, secondary skill of bowling to 2011 World Cup and he struggled there? If I'm remembering it correctly, so he, uh, you know. Yeah, no, they did. I mean, he look, to be honest, he was a great T20 bowler, like a really, really good T. Well, um, I'd have to go through the numbers, but a very effective T20 bowler. Um, I think taking him to the one day is, was probably a step above, right? So, so, so what you were seeing, what you can see now is that you might be able to find a batter or a ball. Like, I don't know what Ben Cunning's first-class batting average is, but my guess is that he's not a first-class batter, right? But in T20 cricket, batting between numbers five and seven, and sometimes he can even go up the order. He is he has he's able to do that because he has a very efficient um, skill set for that particular thing. So there are going to be a lot of players who, like Yardi and Ben Cutting, who are not batters or bowlers traditionally, but in T20 cricket, they will be able to do that, right? And so if that's the case, you'll be able to gerrymander that kind of cricketer occasionally. But there are very few players out there that, that have this. I suppose what happens more often is you have someone like Anton Devsic or... Uh, Michael Bevan, I'm trying to think of someone else. Uh, uh, Craig White was a, a, a famous one back in the day. Who actually, oh, Odeon, Odeon Smith is going to be a really, really interesting one um, coming through with the West Indies. No, no, no. So, so what I'm talking about is at one stage in this in their life they had frontline bowling skill or batting skill. Right, these guys, not not part time, not no. no Sachin was a perfect part timer in the same way that Joe Root is a perfect part timer. What I'm talking about is um, someone like Odeon Smith. So Odeon Smith opened the batting for the West Indies in the under-19s, right? Kyle Jamieson um, is another one like this, where that is not someone getting to the professional level and then you saying to them, it'd be really great if you could bowl off spin now. What you were saying to Odeon Smith is, when you were 18 or 19, you had proper batting talent. Is there any way we can develop that up again so that we can get you to bat at number seven or number eight? Or as he did this year in the CPL, he even played as a pinch hitter. That is completely different than perhaps what the Darren Lehman or the Mike Yardy situation is, which is, or, or, or Benny Howell, which is very clever cricketers finding a way to be very effective, right? So there's almost two different levels to this. There's one where you have someone who at one stage had genuine all-round skill, um, even if it was at a very young age, um, and then you're trying to rebuild them back up uh, because they've got so good at batting or bowling that they didn't have to worry about the other skill. And then the other thing is that occasionally you will find a player who will be very smart at cheating the system, really. Like, you know, that Yardy's bowling is cheating the system and Benny Howe's bowling is cheating the system. And so those are almost like two different kinds of things. But being able to tell Rohit Sharma that he's suddenly going to have to bowl four overs a game is not going to work because Rohit Sharma just probably is never going to think about bowling in a way that's going to give him an effective skill set or... Um, his physicality, do physicality doesn't allow him to bowl in a way that is, um, you know, uh, uh, that is important. So someone like Kevin Peterson um, or Steve Smith will probably always have an advantage over someone like Rohit Sharma. You can tell Rohit Sharma to go and practice on his bowling as much as you want. He just, to me, doesn't look like he has any real physical skills that allow him to to, to be a, a top level in international bowler, even even for a, you know a part timer. Um, and, you know, not picking on him. There's plenty of guys. Uh, David Warner was, well, David Warner, I suppose, at least could bowl leg spin beforehand. But there's a lot of other guys out there who are in that sort of, um, you know, that sort of physicality. They just don't have the skills or the physicality to be able to do what they need to be able to do. I mean, to be a good part-timer at international level, you either need to be incredibly smart, 
have a weird sort of act, uh, action um, or, you know, something else um, sort of entirely. And I, I think at the moment that that is, um, that's not entire, you know, that's not the case uh, with a lot of those players. So trying to get them to, you know, trying to get them to do something they can't do is just really hard. Thanks for your question. Thanks, Eric. A little bit of grass on the wicket is good, but too much and all hell breaks loose. Not enough and things can go sideways very quick. The same is true of your pubic hair. And you don't have a groundsman who smells like fertilizer telling you what to do. No, you are the curator of your own pubic pitch. So if you're having trouble grooming your pitch, what about Manscaped? They've invented a sleek, well-designed, optimized trimmer that helps you shave your ball. I've used it and it's incredible. It's good enough to use at Lord's. So get 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code REDINCA, which should be easy to remember because that's the name of this podcast. And you just put that in at manscaped.com. That's 20% off, free worldwide shipping, manscaped.com. The code is REDINCA. I always thought this podcast took balls more seriously than anyone else. Then I tried Manscaped. Bahan, are you there? Hello. Uh, what's your question, mate? Uh, my question was about Australian T20 team, basically. Uh, because in the World Cup, I'm seeing that they are going through a new way of playing, basically. I have always figured this out that Australia is not very interesting to it somehow. Or maybe it looks like that. Uh, right now, what they're going through is like a very good bowling attack. Right. And they are banking upon that. What Pakistan used to do in 2011 and 12, when they have very good spinners. Right. And, and you can say that they are still doing it in this year, effectively. But I don't think the batting is going to work and that much of reliance on Cummins, Hazelwood and Stark, especially with Cummins, whom I don't feel he's a great bowler, but probably not a very good T20 bowler. So is it like they've still not cracked the T20 code or something or they're not very interested in it? Like I'm a bit buffered basically by that. I suppose the best way of putting it is in international cricket, what you basically do is you have to pick from what players you have available, right? Right. So what you're talking about here is a team that has no all-rounders. They don't have a single he, – he's not an all-rounder. He, Ma- Maxwell can, can cheat you some overs, right? But Maxwell, Maxwell is not – he cannot bowl you four overs consistently, right? That's not an all-rounder, right? And so the minute you don't have a single player with all-round skill, like the, uh, uh, in, in that sort of way – um, what else, what, what are your other options? So you tell me, if, if you've been following Australian cricket, what are the other options they have for a lineup of this team? Because there is no, there are other, there are other lineups they could try. There is no better lineup that they have available to them. There is no magical T20. There, there are changes you could make to some of the batting. And, and I, I, I certainly think that's not a problem, but as far as the actual structure of the team goes, What's the better option here to 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 pick Dan? You know, to pick Dan Christian and um, Daniel Sams. They haven't played Cameron Green in T Twenty. Why would they? What's Cameron Green doing? Where's what, what's Cameron Green's numbers in T Twenty cricket? Should we look? So what you're you're talking about now is like just taking a hail mary, right? So what they are doing is they are going. These are our best players. We're going to back them up. Cameron Green has a strike rate in T20 cricket of 108. He's only made 106 runs, so he's barely ever played it. And he's bowled 12 balls. So would you pick him in a, in a T20 World Cup? Like, on what? My point is, what are the other options? So I don't think they've gone with this. Uh, and uh, look, I haven't talked to George Bailey about this or anyone in the Australian camp. I don't think they've gone with this because they're like, this is the greatest way to win T20 games. They've gone with this because what they have is a bunch of specialist batters and a bunch of specialist bowlers and to be fair to them, uh, in Stark and Cummins, they have a couple of specialist bowlers who can at least hit. They're not, you know, they're not complete duds. They're 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 bowling lineup, right? So, so I think in that in that case, uh, you know, uh, I think they probably hope by this stage that Jai Richardson was a slightly better player, um, and then they could, and then maybe Hazelwood wouldn't play, and they would have had Cummins, Stark, and Richardson, which at the very least would have given them three bowlers who could bat, um, which gave them a little bit of flexibility there. Um, but realistically, like they don't have the players that they need to have in order to be able to change this. Their best players are batting specialists and bowling specialists. And they are basically what they're trying to do is cheat the all rounder position by having Glenn Maxwell and Marcus Stoinis in that role. Uh, 
Occasionally it will work. Melbourne, Melbourne Stars did that for a few years. It's not it's not the worst tactic in the world. But realistically, Marcus Stoinis really struggles um, and might do his hamstring or his cordial, whatever it is, before the um, uh, before the end of the tournament anyway. And Glenn Maxwell is going to have games where the matchups don't favor him um, or the pitch doesn't really help him and he's going to go for a lot of runs, right? Like Glenn Maxwell is, and I say this as someone who's worked with both of them at Melbourne Stars, you have to pick them when they're, Conditions are in their favor when it comes to their bowling. That's a huge punt, but it's a huge punt based on the fact that there is no all-rounder. There, you know, unless they go with Dan Christian and they've kind of decided that Dan Christian is is not uh, of that level of player, and they might be right. He didn't do particularly well in the IPL, although that was kind of comical um, uh, there. But I don't see the structure of this particular team. Um, being a like, it's not like they've made a decision of this is the structure. No one would pick this. No one would pick going into a game with Maxwell as your fifth bowler, right? No, no one on earth would do that. They have never played with this team, and they just uh, like went with the team in bulk, and that that baffles me actually. No, so that that goes back to your original point, which is uh, basically they don't really take T Twenty cricket seriously. They don't really prepare for these sorts of things. Um, and then they turn up at the tournament and they basically, the, the same thing happens every year. They basically hope their openers are going to blitz and Mitchell Stark will have a great year. Mitchell Stark has a great year. Australia could still make the semifinals because Mitchell Stark is so much better than other players. And, you know, if he has if he has the sort of year that he had in the 2019 World Cup or the 2015 World Cup or the, the, um, the, the IPL season he played, uh, then he will drag Australia through because they have enough good other players around him. But what you're saying is absolutely nothing different than what I said in 2016, 2017, 2019. Australia turns up to these white ball tournaments generally with really bad balance, and it's because they can't find an all-round player that suits modern cricket. If you look back to even how they used to play, um, they've really, in the old days, you could just cheat by having Andrew Simons bowl throughout the middle of the the game, right? Um, And, and, you know, Australia, if you look at the 2000... Yeah, Michael Clark, Darren Lehman, we're just talking about him. You know, the reason Darren Lehman bowled. In those days, people knocked around people in the middle overs, right? That certainly doesn't happen in T20 cricket and doesn't really happen in one-day cricket at the top levels anymore. And so it means that you need five bowlers. And that's a huge problem if you're a nation who does not find all-round talent. Now, Cameron Green is not being played by his own team. That suggests to me that he's probably not a frontline, um, you know, t- a T20 player right at the moment. Uh, Dan Christian is the interesting one. I would assume that there's a lineup that where they could f- try and bring Dan Christian in as a batter um, at, at a certain point. Um, so put him in the top seven, and then you've got Dan Christian, Marcus Stoinis, and Glenn Maxwell to make up those last four overs. Um, you know, that that is something that they might do with someone like Dan Christian. But they've had years to use Dan Christian. Everyone knows how good Dan Christian is, and it, it's not like he's been a permanent member of the side. They've never really understood how to use him. Um, he's He's been used by so many different franchises better than he ever has for Australia, which I think probably tells you something about uh, the way that they value him. Um, so, yeah, I don't think they plan for it. I think a lot of it is just natural and the sort of players that they have. Um, and they're backing their strengths. I'll, I'll never I'll never go against the team for backing their strengths, right? If you're... If you're saying, to, uh, you know, today West Indies, have, Obed McCoy's been ruled out and they've brought in Jason Holder. There's a part of me that's like, well, they're not like for like. Are you saying that Ravi Rampal's bowling so well that you don't need another death bowler in this tournament? Um, I'm not sure that's true. Maybe, hopefully you're right. Um, but they're back in their strengths, aren't they? Jason Holder is a strength of their team. I don't know specifically where he fits into this team, but that's why they have done that. And you, I don't think you can have a go at teams for backing their strengths. But um, thank you so much for your question, mate. Yeah. yeah. No worries. Oop. Avi. Hello. Um, How you doing? What's your question? Yeah. Uh, first of all, thanks a lot for putting up that video about the cock. I think it's really important coming from someone as stature. So, so that's really nice. I thought you were going to say someone as white as me. I am virtually translucent. That's what I actually meant. <laughs> but but with someone of your stature in the industry. So, yeah. My question is, uh, so as an Indian fellow, I get a lot of black, at least in like Indian cricket circles. So you should. For uh, saying that Josh Butler is probably the best white ball batsman in the world right now, even though Virat Kohli very specifically is the best ODI batsman. Uh, but I wanted to ask you with your statistical uh, knowledge and your data analysis knowledge here, is this notion which we keep seeing frequently on cricket Twitter about how strike rate is the only important thing in T20 uh, games 
is it overrated? I, I personally do not think so. I, I think even though Butler might have an average of like mid-30s in T20 internationals, uh, he does average about 50 as an opener though. But the fact that he strikes so hard, so early, so well, I think that puts him above anybody, even even if Babar Azam ends up getting like a 60 average in T20. I think the fact that he strikes harder puts him ahead. Uh, do you think that motion is overrated? Or do you think it's important that regardless of what your average is, you must strike around 145, 150 plus to be considered a T20 grade? I mean, strike rate isn't the only important thing because you could have someone averaging eight with a 200 strike rate. Um, so obviously, it's not the be-all and end-all. But this is an efficiency game. Uh, you know, I think of cricket more and more like basketball uh, in that, you know, you, you, you're going to take so many shots um, over the year and you want to make uh, as many points as you can from those shots. And so if you're not doing that in cricket, then you are, you're putting pressure on the rest of the team to be able to do that. There are different players and different kinds of teams where that's not quite the case. Um, if you think back to the Sunrisers, uh, the way that they played, uh, especially when they had, you know, uh, Mustafizur and Rashid Khan and, and Bouvi and the, and the local bowlers dominating, uh, you can play a slightly different way. But generally, <laughs> what you're going to have to do is try and score as many runs as quickly as possible. Um, and you can, if you average 60 with 120 strike rate, unless you've got a great bowling attack, you're probably not going to win many games for your team, Right. And 130 to 135, you know, you see this on the TV a lot. People will say, oh, that's a good strike rate. Uh, I, I haven't looked at this recently, but m my guess is that the average record of an opener in T20 cricket up until very recently was a batting average of 29 and a strike rate of 130 or 135, somewhere around there. That's the average of an opener, right? So if you want to be an above-average player, surely you're going to have to be striking at least at 140 or 145. Um, if, you're, if you're scoring more runs, you allow the, you know, the rest of your batters to be able to do that, but then they have to score quickly, right? Where the difference there is if you're A.B. De Villiers or Joss Butler and you're averaging 35, which is magnificent average in T20 cricket, um, and you're also striking at 145, 155, maybe even 160, then you're doing two jobs, right? And I think... We're still stuck in this. I talk about this with strain in Indian cricket. And I, I suppose Pakistan cricket, now now that, um, that you mentioned Babar Azam, they just want to turn everyone into these anchors in T20 cricket. They want everyone to average 40 and 45 and strike at 130. And it's like, if you've got players who can strike at 145, 150, why on earth would you want them to go slower to average more when you can throw more batters at, at, at the wall? That's really what you want to be able to do. Unless you have a terrible batting lineup where you don't think your top seven is going to make any runs you don't really want your top order to bat particularly slow um now there are as i said there are teams and and strategies where that is certainly the case but um no i mean i don't know who's the better white ball batter between butler and virat Kohli only because i haven't done the numbers but you know we talked about this i think last week uh ab is a better t20 player i don't think there's really anyone who doesn't agree with that um and the big part of that is just his ability to score at a much quicker rate than Virat Kohli. And I personally believe, not even that I believe, I know that Virat Kohli can score at a quicker rate than he does. And I know that a lot of players, a lot of these guys, and that's, I think, where the frustration comes in for for a lot of us, is that um, I, I remember talking to a player about his strike rate, and it got quite low. And he said, but I was the second leading run scorer last year. And I went, mate, no one who's making any smart decisions in cricket anymore is looking at who the second leading run scorer is. And players are still thinking about those sorts of things. Um, and coaches are still thinking, oh, you know, we, we really need this guy to bat through the innings. I just don't think that's true. Um, it hasn't been true for quite a long time in T20 cricket. And I think it's affected uh, quite a few players. And it's, it looks it's a real, I think it's maybe, maybe the best way of putting it is it's, um, it's a real shame uh, because I think... <laughs> I think it's holding T20 cricket back a little bit. And I think we, it could be an even more exciting sport than it is at the moment. Um, and, but yeah, I mean, obviously, strike rates are incredibly important. What would you call it when Gail Rahul in Punjab? Yes. Oh, I mean, that's my head in. I mean, go back on any of my YouTube videos. I've talked about it time and time again. I never quite got around to making a big video of it, but you had someone who had the ability to average over 30 with a strike rate of 150. Um, and you turn him into someone who averages 45 with a strike rate of 130. I, I don't understand. W what benefit 
is that get, giving his team? He was already a way above average average batter just on the amount of runs he made, and he was doing it at a rate that would change games. Now, I understand exactly why he specifically has changed his game. I think it's a combination that India have tried to make him into a longer, longer um, innings. I think that's definitely part of what happened. And then he got to, um, you know, he got to Punjab and looked around. It was like, well, if I don't make runs, we're not going to make, we're not going to win. But geez, I mean, he. I don't say this lightly. He could be the most efficient T Twenty player in the world because he could average well over thirty with a strike rate of over one hundred and fifty um, consistently. I really truly believe that, um, and I'm not sure there are that many other players who could do that year after year. Um, a, you know, AB would be one of the few others out there. And um, we've turned him into this other player. And eventually, sometimes he ends up with good strike rates. But even when he ends up with good strike rates, it's because he starts really, really slow for the longest time and then kicks on to the big score. That's absolutely fine, except for the fact that there's still there are going to be days when he goes out for 60 and he doesn't go on to get 80 or 90 and he doesn't get to catch up. So if he goes out for 60 or 45 balls or 60 or 50 balls, that's a humongous waste for that team. Um, no, I mean, he frustrates me more than anyone else. I certainly understand why he, he has done what he's done. I'm not blaming him specifically. I think that's kind of a combination of being at a bad franchise and also this sort of obsession that a couple of cricket cultures have with anchors. But uh, great question. Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah. You there? Hi, Jared. Can you hear me? I can. What's your question? My question was, uh, what has the West Indies this tournament like? Can you hear me? Yeah, you vibrated. What has gone wrong with the West Indies this tournament? Is that what you said? Yeah, because like Gail and Puran are not in their best form, but like Lewis was in form. Lendl Simmons hasn't mm-hmm. been that kind of, that bad of a T20 player. Pollard was, Pollard not been out of form. Shimran's in form. So why are they struggling in mm-hmm. the runs? Like what's been, is it something related to their strategy or their mindset? No. Or what's gone wrong? Uh, so I think the first game was they got caught up in a bunch of matchups that went against them. Lendl Simmons going out to the off spinner was about the worst thing that could happen to them. Um, and then that allowed them a bunch of left-handers to go up against them and it meant that they had to throw Dwayne Bravo up the order. It just, you know, and then then what you had was Pollard, facing leg spin probably earlier than anyone would want it. You had Gale and Puran going up against extreme pace, uh, which, again, probably neither of them were massively keen on doing. It's not their speciality either. Um, and so it's almost like every single matchup that England did, and it's not like England's w- were genius. Most of these things were quite widely known. It's just that every sometimes the matchups fall in your favour. Um, and then I think that, you know, West Indies just have one of those days where I suppose shit happens. Um, but it is... They do have a lot of left-handers, um, you know, and they are right occasionally for that to happen. And uh, in this particular case, then they had a couple of batters who were, you know, not particularly great against express pace as well. You know, those things happen. If, if you've got a guy who's, how old's Gale, 42? He's he's going to struggle against express pace. That's just, you know, I mean, I was at the Oval when um, he hit Brett Lee onto the Archbishop Tennyson School. He hasn't always struggled against express pace, but... Once you get over 35, it gets a lot tougher. And once you get over 40, you know, good luck. Remember watching KP at the end of his career facing Billy Stanley. Um, you know, it's just tough. So I think those those things played a part. The second game, honestly, I, I don't know what happened. I haven't been able to talk to anyone in the West Indies camp because um, they've been a bit upset with everything. Um, my guess is that Lendl Simmons was an overreaction to what happened in the first game. And he was told that as far through the innings as you can. He then starts to bat as you know, through the innings as much as possible. Then when he has to start to hit out, he just couldn't do it. You could see, I can't remember, was it Shane Watson was talking about his hands? He just, he, he didn't even have a backlift. So even when he was coming down the wicket looking to attack, it was like he couldn't hit the ball. Um, he, he, his shape went, his footwork went, his bat swing went. Um, realistically, if you got even a runner ball innings from Lendl Simmons in that game, I wonder if the West Indies don't win. Um, you know, South Africa is not a particularly good team, uh, a, you know, very good bowling lineup, but not particularly good batting lineup. So an extra 20 or 25 runs from Lendl Simmons in that game, probably um, they win. Um, and he batted on so long as a drain. Uh, so I, I suppose when you look at it, they lost to one bad side and one good side. They had one game that just everything went against them and they had another game where one one innings really went against them. I'm not sure I'm willing to throw the West Indies out at the moment. 
but a lot needs to go right for them from here on in in the tournament. Um, <laughs> you, I mean, if you if you want to go back to the IPL, uh, Chennai was the best team in the IPL. Just before the finals, Chennai lost three games in a row. Is that right? Three games in a row? Yeah, were you watching? I hope, I hope I've got that right. Was that right? Three games in a row? Yep. Yeah. And imagine they were the first three games in the season and what everyone would have been thinking. It didn't matter. Chennai were already going to be in the finals. No one was particularly worried about them. I didn't take them down off my power rankings based on it, right? But if you lose the first three games in the year, that changes everything. And I remember Joe Harris, the former RCB um, analyst, did a thing for the 2019 World Cup where he just reversed the order of the World Cup. So do you remember Pakistan had a terrible start and then did brilliantly well at the end? I think that's right. And there was another team who I think did the opposite. And he's like, if you reverse it, like you realize how random these results are. Um, and, and sometimes we focus a little bit too much on the fact that they've lost two in a row. I mean, if they lose another one, then it may not matter anyway. But uh, realistically, what if this is their only two losses in the tournament? Like, that's possible. They are that good a team. Um, and the same with some of the other teams who, you know, Pakistan's played two brilliant games against two very good teams. They might play a couple of poor games against some average teams coming up, right? And that all these things happen in T20. It's so it's such a random format. Luck went in favor of Pakistan as they won both of the tosses and they got to bat second and you became a huge factor. Yeah, look, I th- certainly think that has played a part for Pakistan. I think also, to be fair, Pakistan is m- maybe the most balanced team in this tournament. And I genuinely think that the balanced teams are going to make the finals. So you could certainly say that Pakistan um, uh, uh, had some luck there. And, and I said it before, didn't I, about the India. I think a lot of things went against India in that game. To be honest, I thought they just played they outplayed New Zealand. I don't think it was really a due factor. I thought they just outplayed New Zealand. And uh, I thought they were always in, sort of in charge of that game from what, about the 12th over of New Zealand's innings? I can't remember when that was, but whenever it was. Um, you know, I just thought they were in charge of that game. But yeah. Luck, luck plays a huge amount. If you win the toss, uh, if there's a wind when you're hitting towards the short boundary, uh, if the dew comes in, if the dew doesn't come in, uh, all those sorts of things. You know, uh, um, someone smashes a drive back and it hits the bowler's fingers and it trickles onto the stumps. All those things play such a huge part in T20 cricket, which is why we're not, we very rarely are going to find out who the best team is in a T20 World Cup just because of the lack of games that we play. Sometimes it will just be clear because, you know, in the last World Cup, I just thought the two best teams were quite clearly England and the West Indies. Um, but either of those teams, you know, uh, uh, Andre, was it Andre Russell who smashed India everywhere? You know, they could have had a collapse in that middle order and still been the better team than India and India go on into the final. Um, you know, those things happen. Uh, and we, we, we don't judge T20 cricket based on that because it hurts our heads. Um, and we can't play more games. So, you know, we're sort of stuck with this sort of format, but there's a lot of random results in, in, in T20 cricket. So um, is it eight of, the, eight of the nine teams have won winning the toss or what, or is it batting second or whatever the stat is so far? In one bat, like only Afghanistan won batting first. Otherwise all of- and we know that batting second is such a ridiculously huge advantage in that, in that case. So I have a, uh, an idea, like, You've mentioned that you want uh, like cameras installed in the stadiums to analyze where fielders are uh, to capture where mm-hmm. fielders are uh, during the whole game. So why don't uh, teams uh, use the wagon wheel? Because like they know uh, we can see the wagon wheel, we can see where fielders are. So why can't they just have a guy put in where people are at a certain point of time? Like you have the you even have the match replays to see where people are during no. each and every one. So No, you couldn't you couldn't do it on match replays. That's why we don't have it. It has to be someone in the ground, which you'd have to pay to do. And at this this point, no one uh, uh, outside of a few teams that have started doing it of recent times, it's not been cost efficient um to be able to do that. The cameras that I'm talking about wouldn't just track where the fielders are. They would track how fast the fielders move, what percentage of times if you hit the ball to Ben Stokes's right hand, can you run a two? And um, can if you hit the ball to, uh, you know, uh, Kyron Pollard's left, do you have the ability to run a two or steal a two to him um, in a way that you don't to other players or wh- however that works? Yeah, I, I mean, the, wa- the wagon wheel is uh, a much easier system. So I, I remember talking to the Opta guys and they said the problem with doing fielding positions manually is you have it's really hard to look at a cricket field when players are moving so much. 
and work out if they've moved or not after each ball, right? That's not an easy thing for someone to do manually, uh, which a wagon wheel is easy. He's hit it there. I put the marker here. No, noticing that long on's gone 20 metres wider is not always that easy. So what the ICC have started doing um, for this tournament is just putting up a camera and doing it. It's very basic technology what they're using, but that's the future. That's the best way of being able to do it. Uh, thank you for your question. Thank you so much, Jared. Jimmy. Hi, Jared. How you doing? So, my query, what are the prerequisites of uh, getting cricket into the Olympics and uh, what are the major challenges that we have to overcome before we take cricket to the that big stage? Cricket will be in the Olympics. Cricket's already been accepted. 2028. So, I mean, what are the challenges we have to overcome? Yeah. I mean, there's a long way to go. Six years from now, I think. 2028 or seven years. Challenges like, uh, how will England take part? Only Great Britain take part in the Olympics and West Indies. Can't be a West Indies team. Yeah. Caribbean Alliance will be. Mm-hmm. So, but that's not a challenge. That's just you've just explained what you had to say. There'll be a Great Britain team, and there'll be a bunch of West Indies teams that will try and qu- uh, qualify. The Ireland team will be split up as well. There is no. So, we are managing the Great Britain. It's England and Wales. So, how about Scotland and Ireland? No, well, what about you, Scotland? So, together as a team, Scotland, Ireland, and uh, Britain. No, Scotland and Ireland won't. Ireland will t- take part on their own. Northern Ireland, Scotland, um, England and Wales, um, I'm assuming, will all play. Um, and it will probably, I'm assuming the Olympic Committee will uh, get in touch with uh, the cricket boards um, and they'll make a committee. It's not not a particularly hard thing to do. Uh, uh, but, yeah, that's what they'll do. So there'll be a combination of players. Uh, West Indies is fine because they all have their own boards. Uh, I would say that Irish cricket will just have to just pick from um, Republic of Ireland players, um, which again was not particularly that hard. Are they all the ones? Is there another team I'm forgetting? Is that it? I think that's it. <coughs> um, off the top of my head, um, of the teams and how they play. So, I mean, I don't know. That took you and I ten minutes, ten seconds to work out. I don't think that one's a hard one. Pitches are a bit more confusing. Um, uh, you know, quality of pitches. Do we play on synthetic? Do we play on turf? How many grounds do we have? That one's a bit more confusing. Grounds in USA, there are many, there aren't many training facilities and grounds in USA right now. How many they mm-hmm. can develop till the Olympics? That's a big question to be answered. Well, I mean, generally what happens is, put it this way, think of the other stupid sports that are in the Olympics, which LA won't have international quality facilities for. They will just build new facilities. That's what the Olympics does. The Olympics is basically a scam to make cities do things to make the Olympic board more money. Right, that's what the Olympics are. Uh, there are still there are Olympic cities who are still in debt fifty and sixty years after they've had the Olympics, and they just make all these cities build, you know, new facilities. So Rio de Janeiro in Brazil, that facilities are all now in, That's why yeah. the cities don't oh, yeah, so. to the Olympics because most of the facilities after the Olympics are almost a waste. Yeah, they're definitely a waste. So um, in this case, they'll they'll make is it it's Los Angeles, isn't it? They'll make Los Angeles build a bunch of cricket grounds. And then hopefully afterwards, you know, Major League Cricket and Minor League Cricket can use some of those grounds because um, no one else is going to want to use them. Um, and then we'll have professional um, cricket facilities. But they'll go to waste probably unless Major League Cricket and Minor League Cricket can put enough money into them to keep cricket them going. Cricket will start in 2023, right? Yeah. I, 2023, isn't it? Or 22? I can't remember. Minor yeah, it's one of those anyway. So they're planning to start Major League Cricket in 2023. Yeah. And so Minor League... Minor uh, league cricket there. No, I, I really don't think there's that many problems. So the biggest problem with cricket in the Olympics originally was women. So what the Olympic Committee said was, well, wait a minute, um, you've only got about six teams who are any good at women's cricket. Why on earth would we allow you into the Olympics? And then women's cricket got very good, and you know it, there has been a huge uptick in, in other teams um, since so that women's time. Women's cricket is in. 2022 uh, Commonwealth Games, I think, Birmingham. Commonwealth Games, which is another, which is another, uh, you know, huge move for that. And I think that um, that was the biggest problem. The other problem was obviously England didn't want to lose a summer. You know, India is indifferent to the Olympics as a concept. Although it was Srinivasan's brother who was running the Olympic Committee in India. Um, I'm not sure if he was the one who was running it when it, yeah, when it got banned or not. You'd have to look that want up. To, we went to a class with the Indian Olympic Council. It wanted to means maintain it so a monopoly. So it, uh, they approached the idea, idea of integrated Olympics for a long time. It's it's not just the monopoly with it. it there isn't a big push, as you know. Uh, I'm assuming you're, you're uh, Indian origin, if not, you know, um, in India at the moment. 
it, the Olympics aren't the same in India as they are in other countries because India haven't been a successful country. So for a country like Australia or New Zealand, they're all in on the Olympics because for them that was that they dominated it, right? Outside of hockey, India really struggled for a long time, you know, um, uh, is some of the weightlifting things. And it's not particularly massive in Pakistan. It's not particularly massive in Sri Lanka. Uh, South Africa weren't even in the Olympics it's for a long time. It's not that massive. I mean, exactly. Like, it's, it's, and it's, I think same in medals, like Australia or exactly. England. And that's changing now, obviously, as uh, especially India, but but all the countries are getting uh, better at the Olympics. But traditionally, there wasn't this big push in cricket for Olympics in a way that um, other sports had, because other sports were already, you know, other other sports had countries who loved the Olympics, and cricket had this weird collection of countries, a couple that really loved it and a couple that didn't care. ECB, as I said, didn't want to miss out on a big chunk of one of their summers every four years. You know, there, there are political aspects to all this, but. You know, one way or another, cricket was going to come into the Olympics. And, and you'll hear people say things like, oh, it's too much cricket play, being played or, already. We can't fit the Olympics in. It's like, it's not too much cricket if you're Papua New Guinea. There's not too much cricket if you're the Brazilian women's team. There's not too much cricket if you're any of a, a, a disability cricketer, right? What Olympics can do for cricket, it, it's not going to do anything for India or England or Australia. No one cares about that. I mean, part of the reason the Olympics wants um, cricket is because it wants the Indian cricket team, right? That's they, they, that's there's absolutely no doubt they want the Indian men's team there, but realistically, as far as cricket's concerned, we don't even have a global body looking after disability cricket, right? Uh, you know, the ability to fast track uh, cricket into the Olympics to help disability cricket around the world would be absolutely massive, and it has to happen. The, yeah, the last the last Olympics, uh, sorry, the last World Cup we had for a disability, which was the physically challenged disability. We couldn't call it a World Cup because the ICC wouldn't allow the ECB to call it a World Cup. And there were five teams who played. And Sri Lanka couldn't come over because the Sri Lankan cricket board wouldn't say that their team represented them. Right? So when people complain about cricket in the Olympics, they're really just complaining that there's already too much uh, professional men's cricket. They're not really complaining about the associate levels, the women's and the disability. And uh, that's why we can and overcome a lot of these problems quite quickly. Uh, I don't know what the current situation with the West Indies is, but I remember that Tim Wigmore, um, when he was writing about it, he's, uh, you know, a few years ago now, um, Giles Clark told him, oh, West Indies don't want cricket in the Olympics because they don't want their, you know, they don't want to be split up. And so Tim Wigmore just called uh, the chairman of, of West Indies Cricket. And he's like, no, of course we will do it. I, I don't know if you've ever seen it, but there's a great thing when, um, oh, God, I've got to get the islands right. Um, uh, it must be Antigua, isn't it? Yeah, Antigua with Viv Richards. So they played in the Commonwealth Games and Viv Richards got to hold the flag while walking around the ceremony. Was it 1998, Malaysia? Yeah, yeah. And so, so, think about, so think about this for... If you if Sri Lanka were there, you know, um, someone like Angelo Matthews might carry the flag, right? You know, for the Irish athletes, you know, to be able to get Andrew Balburnie and you know um, uh, Mark Adair uh, to be front and center with the great Irish swimmers and athletes, it, it's huge, right? Because you talk to people in some of and these other the countries. I was watching it as well. Where the global yeah. I was, which they have you played cricket or they have never cricket usually, but they were definitely. Right. Give it a try. Look, the amount of stupid sports that we all watch during the Olympics will mean that people will pick up some cricket, right? And and if it helps, and if it helps governments around the world. So I remember with Ireland back in the day, Ireland used to say, "Look, the International Cricket Council don't seem to care that you exist or not, right? And your sport's not in the Olympics." And so the government would say to them, "Why would we help you?" Your cricket board doesn't help you, and we don't get any Olympic salary out of you, right? There are a lot of associate countries that face those problems all the time, right? So when it comes down to it, Olympics can again help those sort of mid-level teams um, for coverage. Uh, you know, I mean, in, in some cases, uh, I'm you know I'm not an expert on Irish sport, but I'm assuming Mark Adair and Andrew Balburnie are probably two of the better athletes in Ireland. <laughs> Um, you know, uh, of, of the last three or four years when you look at all performances. But because they're the Irish cricket team, they probably don't get the credit that, that some other people do. Um, so, again, it's probably worth getting them up on that stage. Look, I, I've been a, a big advocate of cricket in the Olympics for a long time now, um, and 
it, there are no great arguments against it other than we play too much cricket and we play too much cricket before this and we'll play too much cricket whether cricket's in the Olympics or not. Jared, will it be T20 cricket or T10? Uh, it'll be T20. Yeah, because T10 doesn't have a World Cup. I think you have to, you need to have a World Cup. Well, T10, no one plays it. That's why. It's not about the World Cup. associates to get into the Olympics. Yeah. I just don't think it's physically possible to be able to play T10 in in the current in the current system as it's going ahead because no one's playing it. I mean, it's not yet. Yeah, to be honest, I, I don't have a problem with T10 going, but you would have to have T10. Yeah, T10 would have to be a major sport before the Olympics comes around. Do you know what I mean? Like rugby sevens already had a structure, and people played rugby sevens. That's it's slightly different to what T10 currently is. Now, if they change T10 between now and then, that's a possibility. I really don't think it's that hard over a two-week period. We played some of the early World, uh, World T20 World Cups over two weeks, right? We can certainly play T20 cricket three games a day um, without any problems, maybe even four games a day, um, you know, on occasion. Um, I have absolutely no problem with that, um, and I, th- I think that that's what we'll do. Anyway, great question or questions. Uh, and I think everyone is done for the day. Um, Avi says in the chat, uh, Wikipedia has no entry for Crom Hendricks' death, so Google thinks he's 164 years old. Do you know everything I know about Crom Hendricks? There's even a possibility that that's true, and he's, he's probably still bowling in some, you know, Cape Town club league um, and taking wickets, um, and people are still ignoring him. Uh, but thank you, everyone, for coming on to the Spotify Green Room today. Some really interesting questions. Sorry that it was a bit glitchy and a bit last minute. Thanks to Patreon. Uh, so if you want to support us on Patreon, Jared Kimber, Patreon into your Google. And you can also uh, go to, you know, buy me a coffee with Jared Kimber um, and find uh, me there. Thanks to Manscaped. If you want to trim up those testicles of yours, go to manscaped.com. Put in Red Inca with no spaces and you can get a 20% discount on anything for your, well, they, they sell other things. I suppose if you don't want to do that, you might want to buy a t-shirt. But that would be handy for you if that's what you're looking for in life. And thanks to Bodyline T-shirts as well. And thanks to everyone who popped into the uh, Spotify green room today. It was it was very glitchy. And I know I've got a lot of messages from people who tried to get in and couldn't get in. I think it says we had four listeners at one stage. And I had more than four people sending me direct messages <laughs> saying they couldn't get in. So thank you to everyone. Uh, we're going to move these chats to Thursday, as I said. But thanks for your questions. And I'll talk to you again soon. <laughs>